Good morning to my church family. It is good to see you. It is good to see you today. Uh, I'm excited about today. I'm excited about what we get to do tonight. Uh, we've been talking about this for a little while. It's something that started a few years ago before I was here that I've learned about, the idea of uh, grace bomb. Uh, I kind of think of it kind of like a flash mob, uh, if, you, if, if you're familiar with that, the idea of a flash mob, except it's not for the uh, sake of us getting attention for ourselves. It's, it's a flash mob of people going to serve somebody else. Amen. And that's what we get to do. We all get to kind of show up and uh, bless someone else. So if you, um, if you have been able to sign up for that and you're going to join us this evening, we wanted to let you know, here's where we're going to be. We're going to be at El Sombrero that is uh, over on Sydney Baker by the, the smaller HEB. And uh, that is a place that is owned by a family that's been here in town a couple of generations. Uh, they've been trying to do some remodeling there. And uh, we, Ricky and I, got to go over there, and he introduced me to their street tacos, which I say are blessed by God. And uh, we got to spend some time talking to them and realizing what a blessing it would be is if we all showed up there and made a great day for them. So we want to remind ourselves we are going there to bless them. And we're going to bless them not just with our business, but with our presence. And since we believe we're the body of Christ, then we believe it's a big deal for us to be there, to, to bring the fruit of the Spirit to that place. We want to fill that place with joy and with love and with patience and with kindness and with mercy and with peace. And we want them to feel all of that as well as it be a nice uh, uh, boon for their business tonight. So we're excited that we get to do that. Um, and we're excited that, that um, I'm excited to be part of a church that wants to take a day uh, like today, uh, September 11th, that has got so much heartache and so much sorrow associated with it, and to realize that the way to counteract that is, is not to react with anger towards anger. Instead, it's to fill, fill this place with love. And so what we get to go do is we get to go be Christ's people in a place, and there's power in that. So... Uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll talk about our text and our lesson for today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the way that you bless us. We thank you for the way that you sustained us. Lord, we are of, um, we are of sad hearts and uh, of joy on a day like today when we remember lives that were lost, uh, when we remember a day that, um, that was filled with so much hate and was filled with so much violence. And it was such a shocking surprise uh, to so many people who lost loved ones. At the same time, Lord, we are not people who um, react in fear or that respond with hate with hate. Instead, Lord, we are people filled with joy. Uh, we know uh, that you're in control. We know that you have a plan to bring all things in this world back under the lordship of Christ and to restore all things, and we want to be part of that. So, Lord, we ask that you would bless our efforts today as uh, we go and try to be salt and light uh, to a place here in our city, uh, to a business that we get to show them the love of Christ in such a way that they will look at the way we treat each other and the way that we treat them, and they'll say to themselves, surely the presence of the Lord is with these people because the fruit of the Spirit is on such display. Be with us, and uh, thank you for healing us, and we ask that you continue to heal our land, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, I've got my daughters with me here today. I hope you get a chance to meet them. I've, I've got uh, two grown daughters, and uh, they, they came in to visit with us and to meet you and uh, to, to get to know you. Um, 
I want to tell you, they're, they're two years apart from each other, and growing up together, if you can imagine having two daughters that are close in age, there was some good times, and there were some hard times. Uh, there were the times that they really got along, and there were times that they fussed with one another. But one of my favorite times, uh, and I know Melissa's too, one of our favorite times is uh, when they were about in elementary school, and they had, they had their own rooms, uh, and so, you know, when it was time for bed, it was time for bed. We had to get them in there. We had to get them to sleep so that they could get up and they could go to school the next morning. But on the weekends, the deal was on the weekends, on Friday night and on Saturday night, they could sleep in the same room. That's what they wanted. Can we sleep in the same room? Can we sleep in the same bed? So what they would do is they would go into one of their rooms and they would, they would sleep together. And we would sit downstairs, my wife and I, and we would listen and they would giggle and they would laugh and they would cut up for hours and we would do this thing where we'd look at each other and kind of smile and laugh a little. You know what I'm talking about if you've had kids like this. And, and then do that, that dad thing. Girls, you need to be quiet. You need to go to sleep. But really, we're smiling at each other. And we're enjoying it. Because what we have is we have our children loving each other. And for a father, for your children to love each other is a big deal. And I remember at that time when they're little thinking, this is what I want for them. This is what I desperately want. I want my children to love each other because there will come a time where they're not going to be living in this house anymore. And there will come a time where we're not going to be around anymore. And what I desperately want is for them to love each other. Now, here's one of the things. We, we tried to do some things to encourage that. Here's one of the things I never thought to do, which is what Jesus just did with this scripture, is I didn't command it, right? If you look at the scripture that was read by Mark that starts out with going, here's my commandment, and then he closes again with, this is my command. So the whole idea was to go, I'm going to command my children to love each other. And let me tell you, I had a house filled with women, and so I didn't walk around commanding much of anything. Just so you know, <laughs> I didn't ever kind of walk in and go, so the dad has got a commandment. Everybody hear ye, hear ye. Here is the new command. I don't think that would have worked well. Uh, that's not really my style much. And to be honest, I don't know how they would have responded to that. Uh, my wife tends to laugh when I do things like that. So I don't think that would have helped the kids to obey that much if I would have commanded that. But that's what this scripture is. And I want you to know that this part of uh, John 15 is a big deal. And for him to start out with saying, this is my commandment, and then to close out the scripture with, this I command you, is to love one another, is a big deal. He's making a point. This is a, this is a important thing he's trying to say. And for him to say it in that way, he is really trying to get their attention. And not only that, but he's saying something that he just said like hours earlier. So just hours earlier when they were in the upper room, and he had washed their feet. This is in John 13. This is what he says. This is 13, 34, and 35. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is just hours earlier. Hours, I guess. I mean, it's hard to know exactly. If you recall, this is when they're in the upper room. He's gotten up. He's washed the feet of all his disciples. He's talked about Judas and what Judas is going to do. He's about to talk to Peter and tell him what he's going to do. And this is when he starts off again and goes, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And then he closes it out. This is love one another. 
And then a few hours later, like I said, in chapter 15, what we're talking about is in between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't know exactly where they are, but we know they've left the upper room, and we know they haven't started the prayer time in the garden yet. But again, he's saying, this is my command. I want you to love each other. And he says it the same way. So these disciples are listening to this and going, okay, so Jesus said this just a while ago, and now he's saying it again. And he's starting with saying this is a command, and this is, ends with saying this is a command. This is a big deal. This is a big deal our rabbi is trying to get us to understand. There's something very important here that we're supposed to understand about how we're supposed to love one another. And the first thing I think we need to realize as we look at this text and what a big deal it is, is you need to understand that Jesus is defining love and he sets its order. And he gets to do that. Jesus gets to say what love is. And he gets to say, here's how we're going to do it. And this is the order. And when I talk about order, here's what I want you to understand. It, there's a lot of talk in Scripture, and Jesus talks a lot about how to love. And he sets kind of a hierarchy in an order. As a matter of fact, hundreds of years later, there's a, a Christian philosopher named St. Augustine. And he wrote about love from God that is rightly ordered. Love that is rightly ordered. And the way he talked about it was to say, there's an order to the way that we're supposed to love under God. And there's a, there's a right order to it. And with that, he would also say, so sin is loving things out of order. And I remember the first time I heard that years ago, I was going, sin is loving things out of order. And the more I think about that, the more that sins, tends to hold up. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if you, if you love golf more than you love your kids, there's going to be a problem. You're going to have issues. Your kids are going to struggle. Things are going to fall apart. There's going to be consequences to that, right? If you love your job more than you love your wife, there's going to be a problem. You're loving things out of order. There's going to be consequences to that. There's going to be destruction that comes from that. Things are going to fall apart. We know that. These things make sense, right? There will be damage that comes from those things. And if you look at Scripture, you can see that there is oftentimes an instruction to love but also kind of, here's an order on the way to do it. And if I can, I'm going to show you something. So bear with me just for a moment. Because this is one of the best ways I know to kind of make this make sense. So there's a lot of, of scripture that talks about how we're supposed to love. And this one, if I can use these chairs as kind of an example here. This is, if we were to think about Mark 12, 30. This is when Jesus says, when somebody comes to him and says, So what's the greatest command? And this is one that he knows, and he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 6, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's how you're supposed to love God. That's Jesus explaining. You're supposed to love, and it looks like this when it's God. This is the highest form of love there is. There is no other time where they talk about anybody or anything that we're supposed to love with everything we have, with every part of our being with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. That idea is to say, in every single way, you're supposed to love God. It's supposed to be with everything. It's supposed to cost you everything so that you can do this. That's the highest form of love that Jesus talks about. Now, there's other forms of love that he talks about that are also very important, but they look different. Okay? So in Matthew 5.44... One of the things that Jesus does is he says, you've heard it said to love your friends and to hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
That's a big deal. Especially on a day like today, September 11th. This is a big deal. Because what Jesus was doing was he was making a point. He goes, here's the deal. This is going to look different in the way that I say it. Most people will say when somebody hurts you or somebody hates you, it's okay for you to hate them back. I'm telling you, we're flipping that on its head. We're not going to do that. And the fact that we don't do that is going to make us different. So when people hate us, when people hurt us, when people attack us, we're not going to do that. We're going to love our enemies and we're going to pray for it. Now, does he tell you to do that in the same way that he tells you to do this? No, that would be wrong. There is no person that we're supposed to love with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. But he does tell you, here's the deal. You don't respond in kind. Instead, what you do is you love and you pray for them. It's not the same as that, but it's still a very upside down announcement for the way that the world works. And it's a big deal. And it comes with a cost. Then one of the things that he does is he tells us too and goes through scripture. And uh, as we go through scripture, we see Jesus talking about some other things when he talks about loving your neighbor. And one of the things that he says is in Mark 12, 31, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. What he's doing is he's actually quoting something from Leviticus, but he mentions it again. And what he's talking about there is the people that you encounter, the people that are around you, the people that are part of your circle, the people at work, the people who live near you, the people that you come in contact with in some way. And he said, this is the way I want you to do this. I want you to love them in a way that you would want to be loved. I want you to love them in a way where you think about giving to them, doing for them in the same way that you would want done for you. That's a higher form even than love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you. There's a different form there. This is still a big deal. This is a big deal. It's still not that. Nothing's that. But it's still a big deal. Right? It has a cost. Because what I have to do now is I have to take what I want and I have to subvert it to the point where I'm giving to my neighbor what they want. There's a cost to this. Then we come to John 15. And John 15, before Jesus goes to the cross, he grabs his disciples. He grabs his followers, people that have been walking with him for a long time. And this is what he says. Here's the deal. I want you to love one another. How? I want you to do it in the way that I've loved you. That's a big deal. There's a lot to that. For a guy to say, right after I just washed the feet of my disciples... For a guy that's on the way to the cross, for him to say, here's the deal. I want you to love each other. What's it supposed to look like? It's supposed to be the way that I love you. And I'm about to show you what that looks like. That's a high bar. That goes way over here. This is a big deal. It's not this. Nothing's this. Nothing was with everything. And, and it's good because I want you to know, nobody can handle this except for God. Right? I love my wife more than any person in this world, but I can't make her the center of my world. She doesn't deserve that pressure. She can't withstand that. Right? I get to love her in the way that Jesus loved the church, but I can't love her with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That puts her in a place that she doesn't have to be. She doesn't have to be God. She doesn't have to do that. But this, for us, this is a big deal. This is way over here. 
I want to, for you to love one another as I've loved you. And I'm going to show you what that is. One of the things that's interesting about all of this is this can be rightly ordered in a lot of ways, but there's one thing that it all has in common. There's a cost to it. Love has a cost. It's going to cost you something, and you know this. If you've ever been a mother or a father and you had a little one, you know there's going to be a cost, right? It's going to cost you first thing. It's going to cost you sleep, right? It's going to cost you not going out. Your schedule's completely changed. Your sleep schedule's changed. What you eat has changed. What you get all over your clothes during the day, that's changed. There's a cost to great love. And the greater the love, the greater the cost. That's the way it works. And Jesus defined that for us in every single way. He gets to define what love is. And what he says it is, is it's sacrifice. That's what love is. Love is sacrifice. A guy who says, I had the throne of glory with my heavenly father. We're in perfect harmony and perfect communion. But for you, I'm coming down here. And I'm going to come here and I'm going to get you. And I'm going to bring you all home at great cost. That's what love is. And he gets to define what that is. He gets to say what love is. And that's the way that he's defined it. The world doesn't talk like that. The world talks about love being a feeling. Think about the way that we talk about it. You fall in and out of it. You stumble across it. You're looking to find it. It falls on you. I mean, it's just, this, it tends to be this thing that you just somehow hopefully encounter in some way. It's a feeling that can come and go, and that's not how God defines love. I remember hearing years ago, uh, Oprah Winfrey was, being, uh, was interviewing somebody, and she asked them, I noticed y'all have been together for a long time, but you've never gotten married. And they said, no, we never thought that we wanted to get married. And she said, yeah, I've been with this guy for a long time, Oprah says too, and uh, we've never got married. I mean, how can you know who you're going to love in 10 years? That's what she said. How do you know who you're going to love in 10 years? And I remember thinking to myself, can you imagine saying that to your kid? Is to go, hey, sweetie, I know you're six, and right now I love you. But I don't know whether I'm going to love you in 10 years. How can I possibly know that? How can I possibly? That is all contingent on how people act. That's not love. That's infatuation. And that does come and go. It's like a vapor that disappears. And that is not what God's talking about. He said love is something that is much bigger than that. And he gets to define what that is. That's why I think it's important that he says it right then. I'm going to say this, as Jesus did in John 13 and then in John 15. I'm going to say this after washing feet. I'm going to get up. I'm going to wash the feet of these people. And then I'm going to say, this is what love is. This is what it looks like. It's sacrifice. That's what makes it a big deal. You know this. If you start thinking about the people that have loved you the best, it's not the people that have always had a good feeling for you. It's the people that hung around and stuck with you no matter what happened. When you were least lovable, that did not abandon, that did not go, that did not throw you away. That's what love is. And that's how God defines it. So Jesus gets to set the parameters of love. He gets to define it, and he gets to order it. So here's the other part of this that's really interesting. So what's new? Because in John 13, he goes, this is a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. What's new? That's Love one another, that's, that's not new. Loving one another is not a new thing. What's the part that's new about this? And the part that's new is not so much that we're supposed to love one another. What's new is Jesus says, I'm about to show you the full picture of this. Here's the new command. You do it this way. This is what it looks like. I'm showing you. 
in its totality of what it looks like for you to love one another. This is what it's supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to love one another. So he says, my command is that you do this. A new commandment, I give this to you. It's not really a new commandment. What it is, is it's a new view. What he's saying, I told you to love one another, but here's the deal. The new command is you do it this way. This is what it looks like. And don't forget, this is a guy who's marching to the cross. This is a guy who just talks about, and the greatest love is to lay your life down for your friends. All of it is sacrifice. That's what love is. It's sacrifice. Here's another big part of this. It's not optional. The way Jesus talks about this, he doesn't make it optional. This is not, hey, I got a suggestion for you. Hey, I've got something that I'd like for you to do. For him to use the word, I've got a new command. And he says, this is the other part, at 15 at the beginning when he says, this is a commandment. This is my commandment. You need to know those are big words to Jewish disciples in the first century. People who are raised on the Torah, when they hear somebody say, here's a commandment, ears perk up. It's been a long time since God gave commandments. You need to know, Jesus used this language a lot. He would say commands. He would talk about the commandments. He commanded a lot of things. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. He said, you should forgive others. He says, you should pick up your cross and follow him. He says that you should pray for the harvest. He commands the wind and the rain to obey him. He commands evil spirits. But he doesn't usually say, I have a commandment. That's not something that comes around often. As a matter of fact, I couldn't find another place that he started off saying, here's a commandment. Because when Jews hear, religious Jews during that time hear the word, here's a commandment, you need to understand what authority that means. Commandments come from heaven. They come from God. They're written with the finger of the Almighty. That's what commandments look like. So for him to say, this is my commandment, that you do this, that you love each other in this way, he's not suggesting. It's a big deal. He's going, I want you to do this. It's non-negotiable. It's something that we have to do. And it's funny because we've got a lot of things as religious people that we will go, man, I'll draw a line with this one. This is a deal breaker. And it, sometimes it has to do with commandments that have to do with purity or it has to do with commandments that have to do with how you worship or how we do communion or how we do any of these things. And this is a deal breaker. What we normally don't do is to go, here's the deal breaker. If we don't love each other the way that Jesus told us to love each other, that's really the deal breaker. That's really the thing that would set us apart. And that's really the thing that breaks us is when we don't love each other the way that Christ called us to. He says that is the marker for my people. And it is supposed to be unique. It is supposed to be different. And it is supposed to look different to the whole world. It's got to be like that. It's got to be a huge sacrifice. It's got to be hard. And it's got to be beautiful. And it's got to be a big deal. So that people look at it and go, oh, they're different. They belong to the Lord. It's got to be something that is very, very different. It's got to be us more than just coexisting with each other. It's got to be us doing more than just tolerating one another. It's certainly got to be more than us just consuming each other. You know what I mean by consuming one another? The idea that as long as you have something to give me, as long as there's something I can get from you, your agreement, you're acting like me, you're doing what I want, then I'll stay with you. It's got to be something more than that, consuming one another. Where I'm staying right now, Melissa and I are staying in this place. We're out in the country, and there's a lot of dogs. 
There's these six dogs that are out around there. We're dog people. Melissa and I, we, we love it. But there's one dog. <laughs> there's one dog that stands off from the rest of them. It doesn't come over. I won't let you pet him. I won't let you be near him. He barks at me all the time, constantly. Stands back and growls and barks at me all the time. Until, and, and you know, you look and you go, well, maybe he's got some trauma. Maybe he's just shy. Maybe he's scared. Until I got a treat. And when I got a treat, he comes right over. And he comes and he sits right there and he's looking at me and he's grinning real big. And frankly, it makes me kind of mad. <laughs> because I'm like, when I got a treat, I'm your buddy. I see how this is. And so we'll give him the treat. And within a minute, he's back over there looking at me and growling and barking at me again. And it kind of hurts my feelings. Because I'm like, so as long as I've got something for you, we got this connection. But as soon as I don't have it anymore, you're back over there. That's what it means to consume one another, right? Is to go, as long as you have something that I want, as long as you're doing what I want, then we're good. But as soon as you don't have or do what I want anymore, we're breaking this. And that's not what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be something much bigger than that. Here's another thing it's supposed to do for us to love each other the way he did. Is it's supposed to glorify God. That glorification is a big word that's used in John and especially right around there. Bring glory to God. You glorified the Father, glorified the Son, glorified them, now glorify the Son in the Father. There's a lot of works like this, a lot of words like that. And what it means is to give splendor to. And for for Jesus to say this in such a way makes us understand is here's the deal. When we love each other in this really sacrificial, unique, amazing, beautiful way, it gives splendor to Christ. It gives splendor to the Heavenly Father. It makes Him look better. It's not about making us look better, but it's about people looking at the way we treat one another and go, glory to God, something amazing is happening here. Wouldn't it be something if the way we treated each other caused people from the outside to go, look at the way they love each other. It's amazing. It's beyond their circumstances of what's happening. It's beyond their feelings of what they do. They sacrifice and they love each other in such a way that there's got to be something bigger at work here. There's got to be something larger than just them feeling this way about each other. There's got to be something big. This has got to be the presence of God. It's monumental. It's beyond this world. It's something huge. And because of that, they give glory to God. That's why we do it. That's why we're going to love each other in that way. And so people will look and go, glory be to God in the way that they treat one another. It must be God. And it's supposed to give him joy. That's the other thing. I know he commands it, but you need to know, it is something that I think fills the Father and fills the Son with great joy for us to love one another. Amen. That smile that my wife and I shared when our kids would love each other and they're little, and now that they've grown up and they're adults and they love each other and they hang on to each other, there's a joy for the Father in that that surpasses most things. That's what I want, right? To have my kids loving each other like Jesus is an amazing thing. For our Heavenly Father to see us loving each other in such a way that is sacrificial, that is beyond mere feelings, and to understand and go, they love each other because of their connection to me. Not just because of their connection to each other, but because of their connection to me. That's what gives the Father joy, is that we hold on to each other in that way. And we don't break that over small things. 
And we don't break that even over big things. I heard a, uh, a preacher talking one time, and he was talking about this, this scripture. And he said that he did a little experiment and went around the church, and he asked like 10 different people, how's your relationship with God? And people would answer, you know, scale of 1 to 10. They go, well, right now I'm closest to God. I'm an 8 or I'm a 7 or I'm a 4 or some of these sort of things. And then he said, I didn't really care how they answered that. What I did was ask them, what's your criteria? What was your criteria for how you answered the question? When they say, how's your relationship with God? What's your criteria? And some of them would say, well, it's how much I've been reading Scripture and it's been how much that I've been praying and it's been how much quiet time I've been spending. He goes, you know what? Not what one of them, not a one of them said. The way I'm loving my fellow believers. It's to go, that's how my relationship is with God. It's the way I'm loving the family. It's the way I'm loving other people. Where what we have is Jesus saying, here's the deal. This will be the sign that you're my disciples is the way that you love one another. That should be the thing that we talk about. That should be something that stands out. It should be something that makes a huge difference. It's not doctrinal. It's not the way that we practice things. Instead, it's going, I do this because Jesus commanded it. We love one another in this way. One of the things that we can do when we look at this is to go, okay, so it's sacrificial, and Jesus wants us to love in the way that he did, and he was on his way to the cross, and he washed their feet. How in the world are we possibly going to do this? It seems impossible. It seems that there's no way in the world that we'll be able to do this. And I'll tell you, the first thing you got to do is to go, do you have any idea how he loves you? Do you have any idea how he loves you? Because you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to love me, and I'm not going to be able to love you in the way that he loves us if I don't know how he loves us. Do you have any idea how big the love is that he has for you? John 13, 1, this is, this is before he washed their feet. This is what he says in John 13, 1. The disciple John wrote this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I think that's one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture. Don't forget, this is John the disciple writing this years later, looking back. And as he recalls what's happening, he says, and Jesus loved us to the end. And really, if you want to translate that, maybe a way to say it is he loved us to completion. He loved us to the finish, to the ultimate end of the way that you love. He loved us to completion. That's a big deal. So much of what we've been talking about in John 15, as you talk about abiding in me, we've talked about resting in his complete work. We've talked about having joy that's complete because of what he's done. And now we're talking about this love that Jesus has for us that's complete. These are all the things we rest in. These are all of the things that we want to abide in. This is the completeness of Jesus and his work and what he does. You got to remember, this is after, or he says this, and then he washes the feet of the one who's going to betray him. And then he washes the feet of the one who denied him. And sometimes we don't understand that. It, we talk about Judas betraying. I don't know what Judas's motives were. It's very possible Judas was trying to usher in the kingdom of God in the best way that he knew how. And this is the way he decided to do it. But let me tell you, for a disciple to say, I don't know my rabbi, was a huge deal. 
And for him to deny him three times and go, I don't even know him, was a huge deal. So Jesus washes his feet. Jesus washes his betrayer's feet. Jesus washes the feet of 10 different people who are going to run away. And then he says, I want you to love each other the way that I'm about to love you. And it's not based on any of their success. It's not based on any of the great things that they're doing. Any act, it's not going to lose its intensity in any way. It is complete and whole and full. And that's the way it is for us. There is no failure. There is no denial. There's no betrayal. There's no falling short that makes his love lose its intensity. He still goes to the cross for the joy that's set out before him. That's you. That's why he went. When we look at that and go, how in the world are we possibly going to do that? There's one of two things that can happen. You can either get really frustrated at the fact that it seems impossible, or what you can do is you can be filled with joy at what we get to attempt and how we get to try and do it. And I'll tell you, if we focus on us and our ability, we will always become frustrated. But if we focus on what he's done and what he's completed and how he's loved us to the finish, then it's a joy. It's a joy for us to love each other that way. And I know that sometimes we can sit and say, but you don't understand, I've been wronged by people in the church. And I think Jesus says, I know. I know you have. And I think we can have people go, but I've been slighted and I've been offended and I've been ignored, and I've been lied to, and I've been betrayed. And I think you can hear the voice of Jesus going, I know, but as I have loved you, I know all of those things. I know what it feels like for all of those things. But the way I've loved you, and we say we've been offended and wounded, and we've been hurt by my brother and sister, and they haven't acted very lovable, and they haven't acted like you. And he goes, I know, but as I have loved you, Maybe we even say, but they belong to the wrong political party and they upset me with their thoughts on how things should happen. And he goes, oh, well, that's okay then. As I have loved you. That's what Jesus said. So how do we possibly do this? And I'll tell you, it's impossible if you focus on yourself and if you focus on your ability. Instead, the way we do it is the way we've been talking about everything. It's that picture, we abide in the vine. What we do is we spend our time closer to Christ. You don't strive to try and love each other in the way that he loved us. What you do is you stay close to Christ, and you focus on what he's done, and you're able to do that. Let me tell you, the only one who could command us to love each other in that way is the one who did it. And the only ones who are able to do it now are the ones who've experienced it. That's it. What we get to do is to stay right next to Christ and go, so this is what he's done for me. You don't understand. I'm able to try and do this because this has been done for me. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I know it. I've been given that. I bathe in that. I go awash in what Christ has done for me in every single way. That while I was still a sinner, he said, this is what love looks like. I'm going to go lay my life down for you. That's what love looks like. And when you have that, and when you understand it, and when you've experienced it, and when it's part of who you are, you're able to do that for one another. The way we love each other as he's loved us is to remember and to abide in the way that he has loved us. That's what we want to do.
That's who we want to be. And let me tell you, that's the thing that will make this world perk up and go, there must be something to this Jesus thing. Look at the way they love one another. Look at the way they don't turn their back on one another. Look at the way it has nothing to do with conditions and it has nothing to do with feelings, but instead it has to do with how great God is and what Christ has done for him. May we be those people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the way that you've loved us. We thank you that Jesus came and showed us the perfect picture and example of what love looks like. We thank you that we have God in the flesh who came to dwell in this world, who moved in among us. And while he was here, he served in every single way. He showed us what it means for the last to be first and for the first to be last. He showed us what it means to pick up your cross He showed us what it means to die, to lay down your life for others. And so, Lord, we ask that the way we love each other in this place, and not just here, but all believers of yours, would be in such a way that the world would wonder, what are they doing? How can they possibly love in this way? And we get to point towards Christ. Give us opportunities to sacrifice for one another, to love for one another, and may this allow us the opportunity to tell others about our Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Yeah.